awesome, awesome. Well, hey, listen, I said it at the beginning of service. Let me just say it again for anybody who's come in since then. Yesterday was an incredible day. Let me see your hand again. How many people served at our Bless Back project yesterday? Yeah, a lot of you guys. We had a lot of volunteers here. And if maybe you didn't serve, but if you gave, if you gave to Imagine, you were a part of yesterday. It cost us about $8,000 to put on Bless Back this year. And all of that comes out of our Imagine campaign money, or just our generosity. We, we, if you don't know what Imagine is, once a year we come together and we take up an offering to just give it away uh, because we, want, we believe that generosity is the antidote to everything that's kind of wrong with us. The greed is the, what's wrong with us, and the generosity kind of fixes that. And so um, yesterday is probably the best example of that. And here's what I will say. If you've never served in Blessed Back, please do it next year because I've never seen anyone who served at Blessed Back who didn't leave with a grin ear to ear on their face. It's just that incredible day from the people who worked in the kitchen who got here early to the supplies to the book bags to the people out front to the guys, just everything. And, and Meredith and Kim who did an amazing job leading it and heading it up. Just an awesome, awesome job. And... Um, and you, you saw the numbers on the screen, but over 230 kids, uh, 65 volunteers, just, just a really, really, really awesome day. So thank you so much. We do that every year, the last Saturday in July. So it'll come around next year, and, and, and hopefully we, here's, here's what we said last year, and we, or yesterday, we were having a meeting, and we were just brainstorming just quick, like, hey, everybody's tired, we're ready to get home, but let's just think for a second. And some of the numbers that were thrown out was, what if we could get 100 volunteers? What if we could get four or 500 students that could get help? Uh, and we can do this all day long. So that's what maybe what we're going to be shooting for. We'll see how it goes. Well, hey, like I said, my name is Pastor Jason. I'm the teaching pastor on staff here at the church. And we are in week three of a series called You Ask For It, which is really just a series where we're answering the questions that you wanted answers to. At Easter this last year, there were about 550 of you guys. And uh, we, we asked you to send in or write in any questions that you had about God, life, the Bible, spirituality, whatever it is. And we took those, and after we kind of put together all the duplicates and everything, there were over 50 questions. We broke those 50 questions down into about 11 categories, threw those 11 categories up on Facebook, and you guys voted on them. And we got the four uh, most popular questions that you guys wanted answers to. The first week, we answered the question, what happens after you die? And we talked all about the afterlife and heaven and hell. Are they real and all that stuff? And that was good. And then last week we talked about uh, do good people, we answered the question, do good people go to hell? And we talked about how we're not really good. So that's kind of a trick question. Uh, but we talked about, we really just kind of walked through what is salvation? How did Adam and Eve screw it all up? And what did Jesus do? And all that good stuff. So that was a great day. Today we're answering the question, is divorce ever okay? That's going to be interesting. And then next week, our last week, we're answering the question, how do I know God's plan for my life? Or how do I know God's will for my life? If you grew up in church, that was the buzzword, God's will. So how do I know God's plan for my life? And let me just say, I think next week is an incredibly easy day to invite somebody to come to church with you. Anybody who's got questions about life, what they're supposed to be doing, where they are. And if I could just put a little plug in, like if you know someone who's in college or someone who is about to graduate or maybe somebody graduating high school, like somebody who's kind of looking down the pipeline of life and unsure about things, like next week's going to be really good for that. So let's get the place full next week with people that we can maybe just share uh, how much God believes in them and what God wants to do in their life next week. So this, this Sunday, like I said, we're answering a question about divorce. And I got to say, in kind of a weird way, I'm really excited to talk about it. 
Because I've been here 10 years, and we've never talked about it. Like, we may make a reference here or there, but we've never really talked about it. And I grew up in church. You guys know my story. Like, I'm fourth-generation preacher's kid, fourth-generation preacher's kid. My mom, like, birthed me playing the piano in church. Okay, so I'm all church, and I know all about it. And we never really talked that much about divorce. And I think here's why. Because, and I'm putting me in the category, preachers, we're cowards. Okay, and we want you to like us. And we know that divorce affects so many people. It touches so many lives, and it's like, if we talk about it, then we got to talk about people's lives, and that's like tough, and, and so we kind of maybe duck away from that. And uh, what's, what's odd about it is that sometimes, sometimes, as ministers, we can spend a lot of time talking about things that the Bible says very little about. So we, like, we have these soapboxes, and we talk about them, and then when you go to the Bible, there's like this or that, but not much. And divorce is something that the Bible actually talked about kind of a lot and was kind of clear on. And so, but we just don't ever really want to go there because, you know, we just don't want to ever. There's some preachers that want to be mean to you, but most preachers, they don't want to be mean. And, and, and they want you to kind of like them. And, and so we don't ever really go there. So I'm excited to just jump in. Like it or hate it, at least we're going there. So that's kind of nice, you know, that we're, not, that we're not ducking away. So let me just say two things before we, um, before we jump in. The first thing is... I feel incredibly unqualified to talk about this topic today um, because my life, like my scenario, defies all the statistics. No one in my family is, has been divorced. Uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles, great-grandparents, brothers, dad, mom, like nobody. We have no divorce in our family. And I don't say that like somehow we have a magic pill. Like I, I think my grandparents have a lot to do with it, but you may have had great-grandparents too and you got divorced. So it's not like there's like that solves it. Um, so a lot of what you're going through, have been through, the hurt, the pain, all that stuff, like what I'm going to try to do today is I'm going to try to just stick to the Bible, give you as much Bible as possible. If I ever get to a point where I, it's Jason's opinion, I'll say, this is my opinion, so that you can tell the difference, which you probably can usually tell the difference between Jesus and me, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. And, um, and then... But, like, I want you to know that we're really just trying to give truth from God's word today, and, and I haven't lived where you've lived, and so I, I totally get that. The second thing that I want you to know today is it's probably going to get a little bit uncomfortable, all right? And that's okay. Sometimes it's okay to get a little bit uncomfortable, um, and what happens is, is that the Bible will talk about or kind of get into some things that make us feel uncomfortable, stretch us, you know, kind of press on us a little bit, and our tendency sometimes is to just back up and go, no, 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 I don't want to, la, 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 don't want to hear that, and we kind of give God 90% of our life, because that's the easy stuff that we don't worry about, but that 10% that we want to hold on to, uh, we, 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 we don't want to go there, but here's what I found out to be true in my life, is that when I am willing to engage God in a conversation about the parts of my life that make me uncomfortable, that's when he does the greatest things in my life. And, and if as long as I'm like, as long as I'm trying to tweak the stuff that I'm already decent at, I don't really grow that much in Christ. But when I say, God, I don't know, I'm uncomfortable, I don't think, I don't know. And, and we say, but, but we can go there, God. Then God does something miraculous usually. Um, so it's good to be stretched. It's good to be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. How many people know when you haven't worked out for a while and you go to a trainer, he hurts you a little bit, but it's for your good, okay? I did that yesterday, not with a trainer, but anyway. All right, so um, long story, really short story. But anyway, um, so I, I, here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you, 
Because for some of you in the room, you're, there's going to come a point today when Jesus is going to be talking, and you're going to want to go, la, 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 I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, because you don't want to go there. Here's all I'm asking you to do, is just don't cover your ears. Like, just, just listen. And just maybe, just maybe say, God, like, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to speak to me? Where are you trying to take me here? Um, and let's just see maybe what, what God can do um, in our lives. Now, we want to try to be as helpful as possible. For those of you who have been here for this series, you know that we want to answer your questions. And so as I'm talking today, other questions will come into your head. Maybe I'm not answering what you want to know. We want you to text in your questions. And the number's up on the screen. It'll stay up there the whole service. 502-230-1591. And at the end of our time today, Cecil will come up. And we'll just try to rapid fire any questions that you may have. As long as it's kind of on the topic, um, we'll, we'll try to answer those questions as best we can. And that number is anonymous, so like it goes through Google. It, we don't have like a phone book or a contact list, so we don't know who sends it. Um, you know, so yeah, we just, sometimes they're dumb questions and we think we know, like from Doug and stuff. But anyway, um, I'm kidding. He's not in here this service. But, um, but yeah, we don't know who sends them, so, so feel free to, to ask whatever you want. Okay? All right, so let's jump in. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 14, here's what it says. John 1, 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We're talking about Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And here it is, right here at the end. Full of, what's that word? And, what's that word? Okay, so this is saying that Jesus came from heaven. He was a heavenly spiritual being. He comes down to earth. He puts skin on. So now he's all God, but he's all man. He's flesh. He dwelt here among us. And when he showed up, he showed up full of what? Grace and truth. He showed up full of grace and truth. Now, we actually talked about this a little bit in our Ideal Family series. But here's what this means. And it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around because we're not able to do this kind of so much. But Jesus shows up full of truth, 100% truth. When it says full of grace and truth, it doesn't mean 50% grace and 50% truth make 100%. It means that God showed up full of 100% truth, maxed out truth. And he showed up with 100% full maxed out grace. And and we like, we want to kind of pick and choose what side of God we want in our lives. So like when other people are screwing up, they're failures. But when we screw up, we're a work in progress. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, God, don't judge me as I am. I'm going somewhere. But when they screw up, it's like, give them truth, God. You know, nail them with truth. And then when it's us, give us grace, right? So Jesus shows up and he's full of grace, 100% grace, and full of truth, which means that He never lowered the bar of truth so that he could give you grace. Does that make sense to everybody? You could only get 100% grace when you embrace 100% truth. So let me give you an example of this. Jesus shows up and says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, don't get angry with someone because anger is like the same as killing somebody. And everybody hears that and goes, what? Like, who doesn't get angry? Well, Jesus would say that because Jesus is 100% truth. Jesus is giving us the maxed out, raise the bar to the highest level truth that says, I don't even want you angry. And we look at that and we go, who can even do that? Like that's like impossible to achieve. That's because he's 100% truth. He, he said, um, 
He said that if you don't, you know, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, but I say don't even lust. And we hear that and we go, who can do that? Well, we can't really do that. But God says, I'm not going to lower the bar just because you can't do it. (laughs) I'm going to give you 100% maxed out truth. And here's the beauty of it all. Is that anytime you and I try to lower the bar, by doing that, we lower the grace. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. When we lower the bar, we don't need as much grace. Because when we're at 100% truth, you and I look at it and we go, I'll never be able to do that. And we embrace the 100% and say, wow, wow, God's asking a lot of me. Wow, God's calling me higher. Wow, God is setting a standard I don't know that I'll ever get to. And when we admit that, God says, well, I've got 100% grace for you. But if I look at it and go, well, I'll never achieve that, so I'm going to lower the bar, I'm lowering the grace. Like when you accepted Jesus Christ, you didn't go, well, I'm not that bad a person, but I mean, God, God I guess, saved me a little bit. You didn't say that. What would you say? You recognized in that moment you were a full sinner and you needed full grace. So if we ever try to lower the bar because we don't want to hear the full truth, we lower the grace. But if we ever embrace the full truth, we embrace the full grace. Is everybody with me? Did I just give you like a little, do you need a brain diaper right now? Are we good? Okay, let's keep going. All right. So Jesus is talking one day in Matthew chapter 19, kind of in a similar scenario of what we're doing. He's kind of taking a little Q&A. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, here's what happens. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? So in other words, the Pharisees show up and say, is divorce ever okay? They want to know the answer that maybe we want to know this morning. And verse 4, Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? Which is like the ultimate diss. Like, if you've ever been around like comic nerds, like, and they can diss each other, and you're like, you didn't even get it. Like, okay, so that's kind of what's happening here. Jesus is like, haven't you read the scriptures? These people memorize the first five books of the Bible. So to say, have you read the scriptures, like that's an insult to these guys, okay? Of course they've read the scriptures. Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Verse 6, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now that last sentence, let no one split apart what God has joined together, that's not a totally great translation of what Jesus was saying there. You can find some other versions, some different translations. You can go back to the way it was written. And it's not totally one way or the other, but it's kind of like God said, since they're no longer two but one, no one can separate what God has joined together. It's not 100% that translation, but it's not 100% let no one, like God is saying, please don't do that. He's kind of saying more, once I do it, once I seal it up, nobody can separate it. It's kind of what he's saying there. So they show up, and these Pharisees want an easy answer. They say like, hey, what's the loophole? Like, where, where can I be justified in my divorce and I, find, I get that question a lot as a minister, as a pastor. People show up and they, they kind of know how God feels about divorce. And so they tell me their story. And it's always a, a horrible story. And they're kind of asking, like, am I good? Like, do I pass? Do I qualify? Can I get that divorce? And so that's what they're saying. And they're wanting Jesus to kind of give like a yes or no answer. You ever been like that? Like, you just like, Jesus, honestly, just yes or no. Should I, should I do this? Yes or no. But Jesus never gives yes or no answers. 
And so Jesus, they're all, we're always asking questions like, like a surface, surface level, but Jesus always wants to get to the heart of the matter. And so they say, hey, is divorce ever okay? Like, what, is it justifiable? Is it ever justifiable? And Jesus comes back, and instead of saying yes or no, he wants to explain to them what marriage is. It's not what they ask, but he's going to go ahead and tell them what marriage is. And he said, look, from the beginning, God made marriage. Like, marriage was a God thing. Marriage was a God thing. And so, and the way that God envisioned marriage was that a man and a woman would become married, and when they become married, two become one. Two become one, and I'm not going into science class, but you know what I'm talking about here. But it's not just a sexual thing. It's also a, like, spiritual thing that two become one. Why? Because that's what God decided marriage, God decided marriage should be. And so God makes a statement to them. He said, so... That's the way God envisioned it. That's the way God designed it. And when God puts it together, man can't separate it. Like, so two become one. And I love that the Bible says, it doesn't say that two are one. It says two become one because that's why marriage is so hard sometimes. Like, you're becoming one. 30 years later, you're still becoming one. But, like, it's hard to do sometimes, right? And so God says, look, God, marriage is a God thing. And I, when I put two together... In other words, what God was saying was, you can't un-one what God made one. Like, you, you, can't, you can't separate it, because when God, the way God defines marriage is two become one, and then they're one. And God means one, like, forever. Like, till death do you part, which is why we say that in the wedding ceremony, till death do you part. That's how God views marriage. Now, stay with me. Don't get mad yet. Stay with me. All right, let's keep going. So God creates it. That's how he envisions it, okay? And they're wanting to know, is there ever a justifiable reason that one can now become two? And God almost can't answer the question because he's like, what's that? What's one becoming two? No, two become one. One never becomes two. Because God designed marriage that way. God says two become one and one can't become two. God designed marriage, man designed divorce. So let's keep reading. So God says this, and they're uh, kind of feeling like you, and wait a second. And they say in verse 7, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? So as I'm saying this today, you go, well, wait a second. Like, you can get a divorce, and, and two people cannot live together or see, see each other anymore or speak to each other anymore. And they're kind of saying that too. And Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was, not the, it was not what God had originally intended. And here we go. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now, why would, why would Jesus say that? That's like... That's like a bummer. Like, why would he say that? Well, the reason that Jesus would say that is because of what we just explained. That God says when you get married, two become one. And you trying to be with or become one with anybody else besides what God intended you to, who God intended you to become one with is like you trying to break that apart. And that's what adultery is. 
So you say, well, wait a second, I'm divorced. I'm not even with them anymore. So you're telling me if I go and get with this person and marry them, it's like adultery? And God says, well, yeah, in my formula, because two, one never becomes two. You're one forever. God says, I never created divorce. Like, I never created this thing of divorce. That's a man-made thing that man created because man didn't like the way that God God created it. Man didn't like it, so he tried to change it. So, so marriage is God's idea. Divorce is man's idea. And as I say that, and I say that two become one, and they're one till death do them part, because that's the way God designed it, you go, that's incredibly impractical. That's impossible. That's crazy, Jason. Like, you don't know my story. You don't know my mom's story. Like, you don't get it. That's, like... As I'm saying this today, if you go, oh, you get it. Like, as I'm saying this, if you go, I don't feel so good. If you you say, that's heavy, that's hard, that's like, then you get just how big a deal marriage is to God. Like, Like, you get it. And you and I struggle with this idea because in our society, in our culture, marriage is just not that big a deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but it's, it's, it's easily replaceable. And so it hurts and it stings. That's not that big a deal. But see, God created marriage. And he said two become one. And when two become one and God makes them one, man can't separate it. And, and you just go, oh, you get it. It's heavy. It's serious. Marriage is a big deal. And so you're sitting there thinking, like, Jason, this is awful. And the disciples thought the same thing you're thinking right now. And in verse 10, the disciples said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Like, the way that God is describing this, I don't know if I want to touch that. I don't know if I want to deal with that. That's heavy. That's crazy. That's, I, I don't know if I should do that. And in that moment, Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and who is full of truth, you would think in that moment he would want to lower the bar and go, now, wait a second, I don't want to isolate anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Let's bring everybody back in. Let's lower the bar. Listen, I know four of you disciples have had a divorce, so I don't want to, you know, no. Which that, I made that up, that four disciples have a divorce. But I'm just saying, like, if he's reading his crowd, you would think that Jesus would go, let's lower the bar a little bit. Look at what Jesus says. He says, yeah, not everybody can accept that statement, but yeah. The disciples are like, wait a second. It's better not even be married. And God goes, Jesus goes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're like, Jason, this is the most impractical sermon ever. Like, yeah. This is just some of that 100% hard up here truth that God lays out. And God says, if you want to do marriage, that's great. But you don't define it. I define it. And I said when two become one, they're one forever. You cannot live in the house. You can never talk again. But you'll never unwind that. You'll never get away from it. There's a part of you that will never be unentangled, unput together. And I'm not telling you something you don't know, people who have been through this. 
You know what I'm saying is true. It's there with you. I called a, a friend of mine, a lifelong friend of mine, Jennifer, this week as I was kind of putting together this message. And, and she went through a tragic divorce early in her 20s. We're all getting out of college, and she's already getting divorced. And, and she was hurt and, and embarrassed and all these things. And, and in, in every scenario of every story where she's justified in getting out, she's justified. Dude was a, a bum. I almost said a different word, but he was a bum, okay? And, like, she's good. She passes all the qualifications. And, and as we're talking through this, you know what she said to me? She said, I love my, she's married now, she's got kids. She said, I love my husband. He's a wonderful man. I love my kids. She said, but I, I've never been able to give him 100% of me. Like, not I want to, but I haven't given it to him yet. Like, I can't. It's not there. I don't have 100% to give. That jack leg over there is carrying some of me with him. <laughs> Sorry. Like, and she said, it's just not there. And she said, it crushes me because I want to give 100% of myself to him. And like, it's just not there. Why? She didn't say this, but why? Because God made two, one. And she tried to use a man-made system to separate the two, one into two. You can't do it. It's God's. Marriage is God's. And God says, that's the way. That's the way that I've laid it out. And as long as you keep trying to, as long as you keep trying to change my system with your system, it's just going to be broken. It's just going to be broken. And so as I say this, there's a million questions running through your mind like, okay, well, wait, I'm sitting by my second spouse. Uh oh. What, what, what am I, like, what's going on here? Well, let me just try to answer a couple questions, and then let's get to some hope. Anybody ready to get to some hope? Okay, let's get to some hope. Okay, thank you, Jesus, for 100% truth. Can we get to the grace, Jesus, right? Let's just answer a couple questions based on what we believe and how we interpret the Bible to say, is divorce a sin? Yes. Yes, divorce is a sin. It's, because it's not, it's not God's design you're breaking the system that God set up in your life. You're getting away from what God wants. Is it an unforgivable sin? No. No, there's nothing in the Bible that condemns you forever for divorce. Is God mad at someone who gets a divorce? No. God's never mad at you. He never condemns you. So, so God doesn't look at me and go, oh, Jason never got a divorce. Oh, they got a divorce. God doesn't view us that way. Does God still have great plans for your life after a divorce? Yes. Always remember, God loves you, God's not mad at you, and God has great plans for your life. No matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, what you bring to the table, God loves you, he's not mad at you, and he has great plans for your life, period, end of discussion. But we've been using a man-made system to try to change God's intent and design, and design for marriage. And so Jesus said that like when you get outside of that and then you go over here and you try to do this right, you're still doing it wrong because you're not here in the original way. So what about those questions, Jason? Should I remarry? Like after I've been divorced, based on what the Bible says, Jason, should I remarry? That's a really hard question. But I think the way that I interpret divorce, or the Bible, 
Jesus seems to think no. That Jesus seems to teach that it's one, two becoming one forever, and you can separate on earth, but it's one forever. So it's a tough one, but Jesus seems to think no. Is remarrying a sin? Seems to me like Jesus would say yes. Is it an unforgivable sin? No. No. Does it mean your life is over? No. Does it mean God can't bless your marriage? No. Does it mean you can't do great things together? No. It does not mean that you can't do great things together. But it does mean that there is going to be a part of your life that will always not fit right. That even when God blesses and even when God restores and redeems and even when all of that is done exactly the way that it should be because we're accepting grace, there's still going to be a part of you that isn't exactly all together. Because God said it was this way and we tried to make it this way. So you say, Jason, okay, I'm too far down that road. Like I'm... I'm already remarried. I've already got kids in another relationship. Like, what do I do with that? I think that's the good news. Remember what I said at the beginning? I said that if you accept full truth, you get full grace. But if you try to lower the bar, you can't get full grace. So the beauty of what Jesus is saying and the beauty of what he does for us is if we are faced with this truth, if everyone in the room is faced with this truth and we go, oh, God, I'm broken. And you and your second or your third spouse accept this truth and together you go to God and you say, God, we're broken. God says, I know. And he gives you full grace. If you say, oh, well, that's not that big a deal, and, you know, I mean, yeah, I did that, but Jason's overreacting, it's no big deal. You can't accept full grace because you don't think you need it. But God never stops giving grace to people who admit that they need it. So I believe what we should do when we are already down the road from doing something we should not have done is I believe we go to God and we say, God, I know where I am. I know what I've done, and I know what your standard is for my life, and I fall short. Will you give me grace? Will you give me 100% grace? And God, will you make something beautiful out of something that's broken? Will you make beauty from ashes? Will you redeem and will you restore? Why is it that people who go through a divorce can have an incredible ministry helping divorced people? Are they disqualified? No. Matter of fact, they're probably more helpful than I would ever be. Why? Because God is making something beautiful out of something broken. Why is it that God uses people in those ways even after they've changed, tried to change his system? Because God never gives up on us. He never disqualifies us. But the only catch is that we have to embrace the full truth. And that is that when two became one, God said it's forever. And it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And we do the best we can moving forward with that. I also want to try to be helpful to you today. That would be nice. 
to be helpful to you. And I want to try to help those of us in the room who are not at that place yet. We haven't had a divorce, or maybe we're in a second marriage and we don't want to have divorce again. Like, I just wrote down my notes, divorce prevention, which is an awful name, but we'll just go with it this morning. Um, like, what are some things that we know to be true about divorce that could help us as we move forward? As we fully embrace grace, let me just back up and say for a second, if you're visiting today, like, please come back next week. <laughs> we really don't ever do this hard. Anyway, okay, um, I was just thinking about that, but, like, so we're here today, and we're, we're married, and we're not divorced, we don't want to get divorced, or we've been married again, and we don't want to get divorced, or we don't want our kids to get divorced, like, we get it, right? So, what do we do? Well, let me just give you a couple of stats, a couple of things. How many people have ever heard in here that the divorce rate is 50%? How many people have ever heard that? Let me see your hand. Okay, don't ever say that again, it's not true. It's never been true, okay? Matter of fact, research that came out this year says that the current divorce rate has never been close to 50%, it's closer to 20 to 25%. For first-time marriages and 31% for all marriages and it's been declining for years like doesn't it feel like more people are getting divorced nowadays than ever before it's not true it's not true that that, that divorce is on the decline so why is that good news it's good news because there's hope for your marriage it's good news because not every marriage is failing it's good news because not every husband is a, is a bum, cheating bum, and every wife is a nagging wife. Like, it's good news because it really does work when you do it God's way. Amen. How many people have ever heard that the divorce rate is 50% and it's no different in the church? The divorce rate in the church is 50%. Let me, hear you, let me see your hands. Okay, don't ever say that again. It's not true, all right? It's never been true. Here's, here's amazing news, and this is going to sound so elementary and so basic, but let me tell you this, that... People, married couples who attend church together, the divorce rate cuts in half by 25 to 50%. Like, not, you know, join a small group, not teach in a class, like, just attend church together. You get up on Sunday morning, you get in your car, and you attend church together. All the stats tell us that it cuts your divorce rate in half up to about 50%. That there's something about sitting under biblical teaching that's good for your marriage. What a, what a novel idea. That it, it, and, and listen, it takes a, some, a dramatic drop in couples that pray together. Couples that pray together. That say, okay, this is awkward, but we're going to pray together until it's not awkward anymore. That, that it takes a nosedive from that 20 to 25 to 31% that we said. Now, now here's, here's some, some stuff that's helpful for us. If your parents are happily married then the risk of the kids getting a divorce is only 14%. So come on, parents. It's not just about us. It's about our kids. Every good thought and structure and foundation that I have for my marriage came from my mom and dad. An incredible marriage that they had. And, and, and I brought all of that with me into my marriage. Some of you guys were not as blessed as that, and I totally get that. But, but like, it's a big deal, parents, the way that we are married to our spouse for our children, it drops it down to 14%. Listen, you may not want to make it work. You may not want to fix it. But at a minimum, do it for your kids. At a minimum, do it for your kids. That's not even the whole truth. But at a minimum, do it for your kids. This one stinks. This one's hard. It's great, but it stinks. It's hard. Living together prior to getting, prior to getting married can increase the chance of getting divorced by as much as 40%. That sounds so counterintuitive, right? 
that you would think living together before marriage would help you kind of work out all the kinks and so the marriage would be better. But research has found that living together before marriage takes the magic out of marriage. Because it doesn't feel like you did, made any more commitment than what you made when you moved into one, to live with one another. So it's, they're finding that people who live together before marriage is actually one of the highest trends of people that are getting divorced were living together before they were married. So like maybe you're wanting to marry the person that you're in a relationship with right now, but you're living together. The best thing for your marriage may be that you stop living together until you get married. And that's one of those like hard truth things that do we want to embrace that? But at the same time, it's like, it, it's, it's tough. I, I get it. I get it. Um, uh, a recent con- a study, con- study, study, study conducted by Jeffrey Dew of Utah State University said that those who have money disagreements, money fights once a week are twice as likely to divorce as those who argue once a month, which sounds like a no-brainer. Like, so people who fight once a week divorce more than people who fight once a month. Duh, I get it. But... Here's the key, money fights. And money is the number one reason that couples get a divorce. And so this idea of like, we're not going to touch it, we're not going to talk about it, we're not going to deal with that, it's killing your marriage. Here's this stat that goes along with saying that, that a a couple with no savings and $10,000 in debt is twice as likely to divorce as a couple with $10,000 in savings and no debt. And I know that when I say that, you go, well, duh. They have no debt and $10,000 in savings. Yeah, that's the point. They have no debt and they have savings. Don't overthink it. They have no debt and they have savings. So in other words, what we're saying is, is that if you will manage your money well, it's good for your marriage. So when you go on vacation and put it on a credit card, it's not just vacation. It's killing your marriage. When you decide to spend more than you budgeted, it's not just spending. It's killing your marriage. Because the debt is weighing down on you, and it's the number one reason for divorce. So those are just some stats that maybe could help us. Uh, Couples that attend church together, 50% less likely to get a divorce. Pray together is even lower than that. Coming from a home with, with good parents, not having money fights, getting our money in order, having savings, having no debt. These are things, they're not rocket science, these are just things that can allow us to have a better marriage. Cecil's going to come up in just a second and going to ask some questions. Yeah, there you go. Do we have questions? Sure, if I do. Cecil's going to come up and ask some questions, but let me, let me just say this. And I, so many things in what I said today can be lost in translation, and I preach it twice, and we're about to start preaching it three times, and so there are times when I wish I could say it like this and say it like this and put one sermon together, and I get all that. But I want you to hear this, because I know divorce touches so many lives in here. Do not leave here today feeling condemned or feeling like God's done with you or doesn't have plans for your life or doesn't love you or is, you know, that's not the message. The message is God's standard for your life and for marriage is incredibly high. Don't lower the bar and ask God to give you grace in every area that you fall short. And ask him to take something that's broken and make it beautiful. That's the message today. I should have just said that and then be done like 30 minutes ago. All right, so... Um, Cecil, we have questions. Yeah, lots of questions. Okay. We, we kind of thought this was going to be a topic where we get a lot of questions. Okay. And a lot of repeat questions, both services, a lot of people asking the same kind of thing. So I want to kind of summarize a lot of those for you, Jay. We had, um, even though you summed it up really well in the end, a yeah. lot of questions about 
What about grace if I've already been divorced? What if I was previously married and my spouse was previously married and now we're married? Are we living in sin forever? So I know you answered it really well, but just because so many people ask yeah. it, this, this idea of I think there's some, you know, am I going to be okay from this point forward? Where do I stand now? Right. So Jason's interpretation, I do believe that remarriage is not God's original plan for our lives. Like it's not, it can't be his original plan because his original plan was to become one forever. So um, I, there are all sorts of things in my life that were birthed out of sinful places that God has redeemed. Like the best example of that would be someone who maybe as a teenager gets pregnant, they're not married, they get pregnant, they committed sin, it's, they, they, it was sexual immorality or whatever, that was sinful, but being pregnant's not a sin and having babies not a sin. And so they had that child and so that child was birthed out of sin. So nobody in this room is going to be like, oh, well, it's condemned, it's going to hell, nothing good can come out of that child. No, nobody would say that because we know that God is going to do something beautiful out of that. So there's all sorts of examples. What about somebody who meets Christ in prison? Like, does it count? Well, I mean, they were in prison. Like, so, like, I am not condemned forever. I'm only condemned as long as I don't want God's grace. But I have, in order to get God's grace, I have to admit that I need God's grace. Yeah, the great, the great thing about God being our redeemer, I use this example all the time when I'm doing marriage counseling and, and talking to people who have already been divorced and well, what does that mean for my life? Am I just stuck forever? Um, think about the fact that, you know, David, King David, man after God's own heart, sins, has sex with Bathsheba. They have, they have an affair. She gets pregnant, I don't, you know, with his baby. He has her husband killed. None of these things could have possibly been God's plan for David's life. Right. You know, God did not want David to go through all of those things. And so David steps out of God's will, doing things on his own the wrong way, making mistakes. But, but King David's not done forever because the moment he realizes I'm living my, my plan and not God's plan, and he gives his life back to God, falls on his face before God, repents, asks God to lead him and guide the rest of his life, what does God do? God redeems David as king. Yeah. That marriage then, he becomes married to Bathsheba, that marriage is redeemed because guess who comes out of that marriage? Solomon. Yeah. Solomon is born of that union and, and the wisest man that ever lived. So I guess my point is redemption is available wherever you are in your life, no matter where yeah. you, what you've been through, what you've done up to this point. Redemption is available. All you've got to do is decide, God, my and life I, is yours. I, I would say this too. I think one of the best things that could happen to a, a couple that has been remarried is to sit down and have this conversation. And I think what they'll find is that a lot of this broken part of you will, like something really healthy can come out. And maybe you've had this conversation, but if you sat across the table from each other and said, okay, what do, what do we take from Jason's sermon today? And you begin to have a conversation, I think you'll find that some of those broken places in your marriage can be explained by the fact that you're trying to make two become one, but they were already one with somebody else. Like it explains a lot. And then together you go to God and say, wow, are we screwed up? And God says, I know, here's grace. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the best thing. I love that. Whatever path we took to get here, how can we take where we are? And, but we'll and never get there unless we admit we need it. Yeah. And that's the beginning. Yeah. Let God take us from here. Um, then a lot of the same questions um, about abuse. We, we've got so many different people talking about emotional abuse, verbal abuse, abuse of children, um, you know, what about that? Because we didn't really, you didn't really hit that one, but that's a, a yeah, question I mean, by a lot of people. The Bible doesn't hardly, the Bible says really nothing about spousal abuse, which is stinks. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if, like, he gave us this awesome guideline, like, well, if your husband yells at you, you can't divorce him, but if he hits you, you can't. Like, that'd be amazing to be like, oh, I got it. We know that Jesus is against anything that hurts children. That's easily scriptural. Um, and I think the nature of God is that he's never, he's, 
he's never going to allow, he never wants to put us in a place of harm if it's not for like spiritual martyrdom reasons. So like the Bible doesn't tell us, but I think it would be easy to say, get out if you're being abused. But you're still breaking God's system. Like, so it's, it's not, oh, well, I'm being abused, so I'm exempt from all of this brokenness. It's just, I don't want to get hurt, so I'm getting out, but I'm still mixed up in all this brokenness. You know? So, I mean, if we're, lo- if we're ever looking for a loophole and we're looking for like, okay, well, I, I'm exempt, then I think we're kind of missing the point. I think the point is, wow, what a terrible situation we're in. I'm going to move myself to not get hurt, but like, I'm never going to get rid of, the, of one. Like, I, I can't do it. But, yeah, by no means is this advocating, like, stay there and get the mess beat out of you. That's ridiculous. Yeah, this is Don't one of the that. toughest questions we deal with as pastors yeah. and in counseling because every situation is a little different. And if, and if both spouses are willing to work together and counsel, and, you know, God can still redeem those situations and restore broken marriages um, that, that I've seen happen. But at the same time, sometimes it's one-sided, one spouse yeah. won't. And those are the toughest ones because now you're saying, you know. Let me say this real quick. You just made me think of something. Sorry, ADD for a second. It kind of has to do with this. To all the men in the room, if I could just say this to the men in the room, don't be afraid of counseling. Can I just say that? I should have said that in the first service. Like, I, I have a counselor. I go to counseling. It's the best thing I ever did in my life. And it's not like Fraser Crane, okay? Like, it's not um, Dr. Phil. Like, it, it's, it's not, you don't go in a room and, like, sit on a couch and put on a blindfold and, like, cry about your dad. Like, you may, but, like, it's, if you find the right one, it, it, it helps your heart. And so, like, it fix, it, you begin to figure out why you're broken. And so, like, there are lots of times, I've been in counseling now for a year and a half, and, like, I, I was just found, like, I was not being a good husband because of nothing having to do with my marriage. And going to counseling really helped me to do that. So, like, sometimes I think as men, like, we think we have to turn in our man card to go to counseling. The counselor I go to, he's like, 220 chiseled like an ice sculpture with a bald head and he just beats the mess out of me it's awesome and like it, it's this, this dude's not a sissy it doesn't beat me but you know what I mean like it's he gives it to me straight and um like so I, I couldn't go to like a sissy who you know like but I'm saying what am I saying I'm saying I'm saying don't be afraid of counseling and I think especially when it comes to our marriage when it comes to our marriage I'm saying you'll be a better husband if you'll go to counseling and you'll talk to somebody about it and Jason, yes. if your counselor's beating you it's okay to get No, out. I'm not beating. I'm not getting yeah. Listen, people who know me know that I I like it I like it tough, hard, like just tell me what the deal is. Okay, maybe we should move do. on to the Yeah. <laughs> so many things out of context. Okay, so if uh this is actually an interesting question. We didn't get this one last service, but I okay. like this question because I like where this one leads. How are we going to transition this? Go ahead. I like where the, I think you're going to take this one. I, I trust you. I know what you're going to do with this. Okay. If, if a spouse cheats on you and then you decide to take them back, are you still one at that point? You're never not one. So the answer is yes. But, well, that's not true. Let me back up and say, the Bible is clear that someone choosing to be unfaithful to you does give you an out. I can't say it doesn't because the Bible says that it does. So we have to take that, like we can't take that away. That's what the Bible says. However, if I could say this, Jason's opinion, I don't think there's anything more Jesus-like 
than taking, adulterer, taking an adulterer back into your home. Because we are adulterers, and Jesus has cause to leave us. Now, there are so many complicated scenarios that I don't even know. I mean, we've dealt and counseled with people like the husband's cheated on the wife for like three years with 50 women. Like, it's okay, I get it. You know, there does come a point where like, I just don't want to be with you. I get that. But I think sometimes what scares me is when I hear people talk about divorce, they almost are excited that they have an out. Well, he did cheat on me, so I get out. You know, like, that's not the way God intended it to be. Like, so I may have never cheated on my spouse, but I've done so many things wrong, and she's forgiven me and been gracious to me. So in the incredibly unfortunate event that she ever said that to me, like, what she did was awful, but I've done a lot of awful things too. I just didn't do that one. So, like, try, 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 try to work it out as best you can for sure and see a counselor about that for sure yeah i've, I've seen marriages where you know maybe it, it wasn't going to work after you know adultery was bad and often repetitive but but i've also seen some where people thought well i should get out and then later on said you know what i really feel like god could have brought us back together and then on the other side of that i have seen ones where they said you know what let's work through this yeah put our marriage back it's, in god's hand and god completely restores it's always marriages. an incredible it's an incredible testimony every single time. And, um, and I would also be careful sometimes, and Andrew and I have talked about this, when spouses say, if you ever cheat on me, I'll, and kind of already make up their mind before it happens, what they're going to do. And I get it sometimes in anger. We're saying, but like, I, this is just me, but I've said to Andrea, like, I'm never leaving you. Like, you, che you cheat on me as much as you want. Like, I'm in this for good. And, and that's kind of what God did to us. Like, he gave us forgiveness in advance. So, like, so yes, Andrew could go, ooh, I could go cheat, and he'll stay with me. Like, yes, she could do that. But I just want her to know, like, I love you for good, and I'm in. So, well, I mean, so just be careful. Like, if you ever cheat on me, I would make your, you know, it's like, let's just back off that a little bit. All right, um, two or three more real quick if we okay. could. Just real quick, a lot, real quick. A lot of these came in. Would God want me to stay in a marriage that's miserable and disrepair? If it's, a, if it's an unsuccessful marriage, does God want me to stay in that? Yes. Like, define misery. So, God always, two become one and never become two. So, yes, I mean, it stinks, but it's not, it's not beyond repair. It's not unredeemable. It's not unfixable. Um, so, yeah, God's, God's plan for your life is never divorce. Um, and so, I get all the scenarios, and I'm not talking each different thing. I'm just saying God's design was in this for good, and... Um, you know, the Bible does mention, you know, like a woman being married to a man who's not uh, a believer and that through her, you know, faithfulness to him, her prayer for him, like he could be led to the Lord. I mean, there are, God's not, God's not planning for you to stay where you are today forever. God has a plan for you in the future. And, and so sometimes working through a time of, of difficulty and disrepair in a marriage could lead to redemption yeah. for a spouse or your, you know, your marriage can be restored wherever it is. I want to say that. Like, I truly believe we put it beyond God sometimes. God can't fix this. No. And, and I just don't believe that's true. And here's what I'll say, too. I'm assuming a woman texted that because the men usually never realize it's as bad as it is. Um, that's a true statement. But I would say this. If God ever begins to do like a flicker in a man's heart, changes the world. Like once a man takes a step, the family gets revolutionized. So it's not as far off as you think it is because God just has to whisper one time 
And when a man begins to lead a home, everything changes. So it's not, it, you, it may have taken you 20 years to get miserable, but it won't take you 20 years to get out. It can take a split second of God doing something remarkable. Let me say one more thing. I know we're going fast. Second service. We'll get, anyway, um, but before you get married, like we're talking about you're married to somebody who's not a Christian, don't give up on them. If you're not married and they're not a Christian, leave them, dump them. Like this is not advocating, this is not advocating, like don't say, oh, well, I'm just going to hang on. God will use me to reach them. Like you, that's fine. As friends, great. But like you're asking for trouble dragging a man into a marriage, hoping that God will do something in his life when you know before you ever get married that they're not that. That's just, that's just bad news. So don't do that. That's what I'd say about that. Um, pastor who has been divorced, could he still pastor? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think so, but it depends on who, what tribe you're a part of and all that stuff. But, I mean, I just got, we're not disqualified. I, we make a lot of rules about that stuff. I, again, I go back to the David situation. Was David still qualified to be king after he did what he did? I don't, I mean, I don't. I mean, by our standards, no way. But by God, I say can, yes. can God redeem a pastor? Most people don't know I'm on my third marriage. Are, are we? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not on my third. He's day. not. But let, let, let me just say this. We're not exempt from God's grace. No. I mean, we, if a pastor makes a mistake, he still has grace. Like, I'm a mess. I'm broken. Cecil, you're a mess. You're broken. But we take these sins and we classify them as, like, really bad and not really bad. Like, we are all broken. Who's more broken? Me. But no, I have a counselor. You don't. Wrong. That's, that's true. A manly counselor. A manly counselor. Yes, yeah, anything else? I would go see people a sissy counselor. People are hungry. I know people okay. are hungry. Um, last one, and, and because we got a couple of these questions too, and we had them from last service, and okay. it kind of leads into next week. But a lot of questions okay. about, did God just plan for me to be with one person forever, and if I divorce them, am I messing up God's one-person you know person plan for my life? Or what if I married the wrong person and God had someone else for me? So questions about, you know. Did God Wouldn't that some... suck if you messed up the whole universe? Anyway, no, uh, I'm kidding. That is all next week. We're going to talk about that. I'm so excited to talk about that because next week we're going to talk about God's will, God's plan, and we're going to get into the whole, like, is there one person for me? And, like, dominoes, I made a bad decision here, so did I mess up all the other dominoes? We're going to get into all that. I'm really excited about that. Um, but let me just say this. Don't ever justify your sin by saying it's God's will. So don't be like, oh, well, I married the wrong person, and now I know that that was them, so I'm going to divorce them and go get with them. That would be like me saying, I know God's will is for me to have three daughters, so I'm going to leave my son over here and go take a kid. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's so bizarre and so crazy. But, like, it's getting late for me. But anyway, um, I got to eat. But my point is, is, like, you can never say, like, you can never say, oh, well, I messed it up, so I'm going to fix it by sinning. You, that, doesn't, that doesn't work that way. Okay, I hope this has been helpful. I hope that you found some hope and, 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 and just fully admit you're broken and fully accept God's grace. That's really what I want to have happen. And I hope that there are divorced, remarried people in this church who allow God to do something remarkable in you and then allow God to use that to heal a lot of broken people for the rest of your life and use that as a ministry, okay? We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for us, but let me just say this before we pray. We're going to dismiss today. We're ending very cold cut, uh, hard cut, but there's giving boxes on the way out. If you came prepared to give today and your tithes and offerings, drop that in there. Your prayer cards, update cards, drop that in there. Um, if you're a guest, you didn't go by the table, go by there. Um, and just uh, we want to connect with you the best we can, and, uh, and so we'd love to do that. Okay, let's pray. God, I pray that somehow, some way, that all of this was not somehow lost in interpretation or that somehow the enemy didn't take what was said and twist it to confuse us. 
God, I pray more than anything else that we would leave here today with the courage to address the areas of our life that are broken. I pray, God, that we would leave here today not afraid to admit we fall short. And I pray, God, that we would leave here today fully accepting your grace. We messed it up. We didn't do it God's way. But we admit that, God, and we fully need grace and believe that better days are ahead than are behind us, God. So thank you for being a God that redeems. Thank you for being a God that restores. Pray for every marriage in the room this morning that's hanging on by a thread, God. That you would just breathe new life into that home, into that marriage, into that relationship. God, I pray for every couple right now that's separated but hasn't signed the papers yet. God, would you breathe new life into that relationship? Bring them back together, God. God, let there be no guilt, shame, or condemnation on our shoulders as we leave here today. You are a God who loves us, is not mad at us, and has great plans for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.